Can I use the erasables? Yeah, whatever you JK, 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 I can use the twistables. Twistables? Yeah. Twist. Yeah. But put them somewhere where I know if I need to use them. Welcome to the Sanctuary Radio Show. My name is Wendy Cherry and I am your host. And this is the final edition of the Sanctuary Radio Show's Summer School Edition, where all summer we have had on guests who were helping us prepare emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the rest of what 2020 has to offer and beyond. So we're gathering our tools and tonight is no different. Tonight is actually a special edition. We are talking about mental health and keeping ourselves steady and ready for the rest of 2020. Cause can you believe there are only like four months left of 2020 and then beyond because the goal is to uh, be healthy and wealthy in the next season. So I have my bestie for the restie, Cheryl Wade on um, as a guest, and I have Dr. Corinne Glover on, who is a psychiatrist. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So happy we could get this together. Um, I wanted to talk about what I just heard less than an hour ago on WTOP, which is a, a, the news station here in the Washington, D.C. area. And they were talking about how essential workers are five months in starting to feel the brunt of emotional uh, unwellness and unrest and um, how they are trying to deal with it. And so a few of the stories were that essential workers are many times black and brown people and they don't have the luxury to just take off sick days for whatever reason, whether it's childcare, lack of childcare or not getting paid. So it seemed to be, um, it was sad. It was sad to hear some of the stories. So Dr. Corinne, as a psychiatrist, well, first of all, as a psychiatrist, how are you doing? How are you doing? Ooh, so um, I'll start by saying I, as of last Friday, I used to be a medical director at one of the largest healthcare systems in uh, the greater New York City area. And I got my team through the pandemic and I was like, oh, it has been a wild ride. And wow. I, yeah. So all that to say that I'm delighted to be having this conversation around self-care and yeah. checking in with ourselves because yeah. I, I, I'm well, thank God. Um, yeah. But I also had to do some things to and make some major changes to, so that I stay that way. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you had the tools and the courage to make such a decision for your wellness. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So what they said was, is that a lot of psychiatrists and a lot of the people who are on the medical part of it, not the gig workers, but the people who are on the medical side of it never have anybody ask them how they're doing. So that's why I wanted to be intentional to see how you were doing as a human being. Thank you. Yes. Um, so what are you seeing? And then we'll bring Cheryl in, but what are you seeing we're in a pandemic. I have to keep reminding myself. What were you seeing in your role and what are you seeing amongst your friends and family um, to show you that people may be exhibiting signs of some unwell and unrest um, when it comes to their emotions? Yeah, um, thank you for the question. I think one of the first things I noticed among my staff was a desire to really be helpful to our patients, um, but to also recognize that they themselves, I, uh, thankfully, we have a very diverse workforce at Montefiore. So my staff is composed uh, a lot of a lot of um, Black and Latinx, Latina women. Okay. And these are women who are wage earners for their household. They are foster mothers. They are um, people who commute on public transportation for hours to get to work and then to go back home. These are social workers. These are um, psychiatrists. So 
these people noticed that they were like sort of right there in the crosshairs, right? That they are working in a healthcare environment, but they are also riding public transportation and at high likelihood for exposure to the virus. And so one of the first things that happened was trying to figure out how are we as a healthcare system gonna manage all this? How am I as a leader going to take care of them? Because, you know, the reason I got into this is because the community reminds me of my family. My coworkers remind me of my family. What would I want a leader to do on behalf of my family members? So starting there, the, the stress level went from like, you know, high, just being a leader and a clinician. And then it went even higher, right? In the context of like, I have to take care of lives um, where I, I never had to like this before. So um, one of the first things that started to happen is insomnia right? Among my coworkers, among my um, loved ones, insomnia, some appetite changes, people stopped eating, some people ate way more than usual. And, and a complete loss of routine and a big sense of grief when we realized our lives were changing, perhaps for years to come. Yes. Agreed. So I would like to unpack some of that, but I want to bring Cheryl in. Um, so Cheryl... We grew up together. We've been friends since 1985. Mm -hmm. And so we have seen each other through many ups and downs, lots and lots of good times and a few bad times. Um, But we're talking about mental health. And so tell me what what role this plays and and how you um, feel about what's going on now. Well, and then first of all, how are you doing? I call her Auntie (laughs) Sharon. How are you doing, Auntie Shares? I am doing wonderful. Um, so thank you for asking. But it's very similar to Dr. Corinne in that um, the field that I work in, right, I work within human resources, right? And um, I do diversity and inclusion and equality and equity work for a large health services provider. And very much like Dr. Corinne, when the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, well, First, we need to take care of our our teams, right? How are we taking care of our teams? But how are we as HR taking care of the 70 plus thousand employees that my organization employs, right? Um, So it was our team, right? That kind of needed to go into high gear, right? To figure out how we were gonna help our employees to really manage and cope through this pandemic as we sent everybody home and you know, people were juggling school for kids and trying to work from home and all of those things that we had just never dealt with. Right. And it was very much like, um, what do they call it? The shoemaker's kids have no shoes. We were so busy taking care of everybody else in the organization, but we weren't really doing our best to take care of us, right? And so many of us go into these fields because we care so deeply about people and we want to help. Um, but sometimes that takes its toll on us personally. And for me, that's exactly kind of what transpired. It was a a period of where I thought I was okay at first and then until I wasn't okay. And so, you know, it was that journey that I had to take personally, um, you know, really to get myself through, you know, what I call really was a very dark period for me as I tried to find my way through these unprecedented times. Okay. So I was with you on, on that journey as much as I could be. And, you know, I think that when the pandemic was first starting to unfold, I think maybe even the week before, like, schools came home, like, kids came home from school, my daughter came home from school. Um, I think that for a few years before that, I was already kind of, like, in this mode of learning how to protect myself, protect my energy, and protect my spirit. Mm -hmm. And being at work in a a toxic environment, I was already home. But even even at my old position, I worked from home. So I had the luxury and the experience of having worked from home for nine years before this even started. So I immediately, intuitively started the Corona conversations just on my Facebook Live. And I started to share with people ways to start to understand what was happening, even though we didn't understand what was happening and the depth and the breadth of what was happening. But one of the topics was um, how to not choke out your booze and your babes when you're home 
because they coming home. So, you know, the husband could be knocking on the door, the babies, you got to help them, but then you still got to work. So I talked about that before they came home, how to keep your immunity up. I even had my daughter who was a, you know, a high school junior at the time, come on and talk about her feelings as a child and what it looked like for her. So I started those conversations early and I felt like I was prepared. So now we're five months in, but I ain't seen my mama since December. So it was starting to chip away at me is that low grade um, sadness and isolation that was starting to chip away at me. And we can go into that more later. So it looks different for different people. It doesn't always have to be the um, outward expression that people may see on TV. Or if you have a family member who, ex who, who expresses it very loudly, um, and with a lot of symptoms that are just out and then you have to help them care for themselves. It's not always like that. So Dr. Corinne, can you share with us what some of these symptoms could look like? So like you said, it's different for everybody. I think before, um, before COVID, we would sort of classify depression as like a vegetative depression, the kind of depression that slows you down, that makes you sort of a couch potato that's the short term for it right like where you where you just want to eat like warm carbs and sit or not even get out of bed and um you put on weight um that's one kind of depression and then there's this other kind that we call like an irritable depression and those are the people who are they're just they're, they have a very short fuse they snap um a lot and sometimes they nothing tastes right and they're maybe losing weight um and, and some people look at them and they think, God, like, well, I just said one thing to her. Why is she, you know? <laughs> um, and then COVID, this whole period is this like terrible burrito of, of like, of every kind of symptom you can imagine because you, people just don't know how to feel one day to the next. And there's this level of trauma that has sort of infused this whole experience, right? Because racial trauma yeah. and, and so it, it has created almost like a new kind of depression trauma experience that, um, that I'm, still figuring, I'm still figuring it out. So you're still figuring it out. So imagine people who don't have any clinical or, or experiential base for any of this. I can so imagine it's very, it's confusing for me. So I can only imagine what it's like for these young people out here yeah. And for people who don't have very much of, um, of a vocabulary for their emotions and their inner experiences. Right. I, I was reading over the course of this five months and then even seeing some clips of people talking to World War II children and how some of that still sits in them now with the hoarding or, you know, back then you had to save everything, save silver and save tinfoil and save rubber bands and there was a, a sense of lack and insecurity and then it passed down just that energy passed down so they're saying that our children and our generation we will feel some of that trauma get passed down to the next few generations because we still are trying to figure out what this looks like so since you don't necessarily oh did you want to share something there yeah i did I, well and i also wanted to say because dr Krim mentioned this around the grief aspect of this so this this is it, it looks so interesting and i can imagine um for you as a doctor it looks interesting but for us going through it that whole notion of grieving during this period of time um that for me personally was um, something that i was trying to work through and if anything this was a trigger of previous grief right? Because I had gone through some things last year that I don't even know if I had fully processed, which is why I think it hit me so hard when we went into this period, because it was like a trigger. Right. And, you know, I had gone through some stuff last year, including, you know, everything from, you know, like losing my, my dog, my dog transition to, you know, kind of changing careers after or companies after, you know, a long time with one organization and moving away from that to something else. Yeah. And so here we come into 2020 and you finally think, okay, things are settling and then COVID hit. So it was like another trigger of grief 
And then add to that, I lost my aunt. She passed away on May 31st. So then there was somebody who actually transitioned and passed away in my life who I love very dearly. And it was so unexpected. So it was literally like one thing after another. And then not only to mention that, then you've got George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you got all of that that's happening, right? And you're, again, you're just trying to get to a place of stability, but it's really challenging because so much in your environment continues to change and you feel like you're kind of out of control. Right. Yes. So what type of tips, I mean, even though we don't know what this is necessarily, what are some of the like very general things that people can do to even identify it? So like they say, you can't heal what you don't face or things like that. Yeah. Um, maybe if the average mom who, who was glad she doesn't have to run the kid to dance these last few, but she's still feeling a little bit of overwhelm or the brother who is protecting his brood and, and then he can't go see his boys or they can't go get to happy hour or go play basketball or whatever. What are some just tips that they can do very baseline to help ease some of that tension and some of that, um, sometimes it's fear. Mm -hmm. There's lots of fear. I mean, there's, I mean, now, I don't want to exaggerate it, but when I think about just where the progressive levels of, of, um, of wild stuff we've had to process over the past, just since, let's just say since 20, 2016, right? It, or, or like, I'll, I'll just say 2018, right? Okay, fine. But, <laughs> but it's like, when I think of how continuously we've had to wrap our minds around and sense danger, right? And know, okay, is it safe for me to go to XYZ place? And so we've, we've gotten good at that, right? Over the past few years, who can I listen to? Who do I have to shut off at the end of the day? Right. Um, and then how do I check in with myself? So you guys know I'm a big proponent of mindfulness mm -hmm. and meditation because I think as long as the world is the way it is, you're gonna need to be able to check in with yourself yeah. so that you can just even get through your day and sleep well. So I think mindfulness is a wonderful start. What does mindfulness mean? So for me, my definition, right? I, some people think when I say mindfulness, they think of a, a monk wearing an orange robe on, on a mountaintop somewhere. and. That, that I live in New York. We don't have that here. Right. Um, we've got quiet moments where you can check in with yourself and it's knowing, it, it's literally the art of being present. It's an art and I think a skill of being present in the moment and being able to bring your awareness, not only to yourself, how your body is, what your mind is doing, but also to the place and people around you. So it's a, a practice. Yeah. And, and here's what I'll say about the practice even, and Wendy will, will attest to this because both of she and I have been on that journey of, you know, mindfulness and self-care and, you know, really trying to be in tune with ourselves and our bodies. Yep. I think, you know, for me, what made this period so challenging was that for me, I could not get out of it on my own using the tools that, you know, I thought I had in my toolkit, right? So I'm doing the yoga, I'm doing the meditating, I'm out on my nature walks, I'm doing all these things to try to bring myself to a better place. And I still was struggling. So I'd be really interested to hear from you, Dr. Corinne, what you tell people, you know, what's that place? What is the point that you know that you've done what you know to do that you might need some additional support? Yeah. So I love being asked this question. So you guys are making my Friday night really, really lovely. Um, I, I think the things that are the most important um, are to pay attention to when you can't sleep or when you're in the bed way too much and still don't feel better. Okay. When your appetite is nah, like even though you're eating, it still doesn't do anything for you. When you don't get pleasure out of the things that used to bring you pleasure, and a sense of hopelessness. I think when those questions start to come up as to what is the purpose of all this? Why am I here? Maybe I shouldn't be. 
those are all, I think, really big indicators of, of when whatever, whatever coping mechanisms you've got, it might be time to expand them. It might okay. be time to work with a professional to enhance those. Okay. Love how you phrase that, enhance yeah. those. And so there's a stigma. So the, the superwoman uh, is a myth. Black superwoman, black don't crack, all that is a myth. And so, you know, what has happened in the past in many families over the years, and I have seen it with my own eyes, not in my family, but in like families of people who I've been intimate with and have intimate relationships with their families, they lock the people who they say are not well in a room. So I was dating a guy for three years where they locked his uncle in the room. I didn't even know the man was there until one day he came out of the room in his nightgown and was going to throw a, a lamp at us. And I was just like, I never knew he was there. So getting past the stigma, moving past the stigma and moving past the feeling of being weak is what a lot of us I'm feeling like my people that I know, they like pH divas and they strong and they run stuff. And, but if they need the support, how do you move past it? What are some tools you can offer? So I think of it in three ways. One of them is to acknowledge that the way that mental health is um, presented on screen is often two extremes, either you're well, and you are, your skin is glowing and your career is popping and you've got lots of likes and followers on Instagram, right? Or you are somewhere in a straight jacket with a bunch of people, you know, standing over you. And neither of those is accurate, right? So stigma, right? A lot of times in our families, our I'm not sure about your parents, I'll just talk about mine. They would say things like, oh, well, you know about so-and-so. Oh, she took that job and next thing you know, they had to pull her out and put her in an ambulance and nobody ever saw her again. She was mumbling to herself. So just make sure you don't end up like that. Wow, yeah. So those are things that I grew up hearing about, you know, you gotta take care of yourself so you don't end up like that. And right. by the way, that's completely shameful, right? Like that's the undertone. That's right. the unspoken language around all that. Right. Um, and so one, so, so there's the way that it's presented, this dichotomy, either you're well or you are completely crazy, right? I say that in air quotes. Then there's also this cultural piece uh, that says that Black women have to take care of our families and be overachievers because if you aren't, uh, you have not lived up to the promise of your ancestors right. and look at all they went through. And here you go talking about some job difficulty. Well, Negro slaves had job difficulties too, and you didn't hear them complaining. Right. Right. So, and then there's this third piece that is, I think really, really legit when it comes to, to, to just take getting help, which is that there's this, um, we are taught from a very young age, I think, particularly if you grow up in a, in a Judeo-Christian uh, Muslim household, um, where they'll tell you, you know, maybe your faith is not that strong. Right. And if you had more faith, you wouldn't be anxious. And if you had more faith, you would have hope. And if you had hope, you would not be depressed. Wow. And, and so being told that from a young age and having it be presented as if either you have faith or man, I feel bad for you. Um, right. You're kind of left thinking, well, if I am honest about what's going on with me, maybe that's an expression of, of a lack of faith. And maybe I've turned away from God and maybe God is turning away from me. Maybe I don't deserve to feel better. Right. So those are like three main things that I hear, particularly from black and brown folks. Okay. And the, the whole framework, man, it's a, it's, it's done such a number on our people. It has. So what do you tell them to help them navigate and mitigate some of that? That's damage, some of that trauma. Yeah, so I, I, I try to, 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 to actually go the science route because I would say if, 
if you knew that depression boils down to a, a disruption in the feel-good chemicals in your body, would you not try to get those chemicals right? And they go like, I don't know. And then I'm like, well, let's think about other disorders in the body that involve chemicals. What about diabetes? Mm -hmm. If you knew you had diabetes, would you tell somebody, well, I just think you lack faith. So improve your faith and that diabetes is gonna wrap itself up and you'll be fine. Right. Or if somebody had a broken ankle, you wouldn't tell them, you know, I just don't think you're uh, working hard enough and our ancestors had broken ankles and, and they got through it. Yeah, right. I definitely so feel like if they don't, if, if the wound is not outward facing, that people don't give it the respect that right. it deserves. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think people don't get the, the compassion or the empathy that it deserves. And that has a lot to do with who they're talking to and that person's sense of empathy for themselves as well, right? I think compassion and empathy are at the root of this, uh, at the root of some of these dialogues. And then, I mean, let's be honest, it's not like the medical system was always kind to Black people when we did show right. up for care. Right. So there's plenty of data to show that, right, black pain is underestimated, untreated. Yep. And so why would I, you know, when I finally get my words together and I take my whole heart to a clinician and they sit there and look at me and say, I don't understand what the big deal is. I'm not going back. Right. I, I actually have a story around that. And I have couple of doctors and Wendy and I have the same doctor like a holistic doctor but then I also have another more western medicine doctor because mm -hmm. uh, that's the one that's on my insurance right and so I went to my western doctor to talk a little bit about how I was feeling and I broke down into tears in her office and I think it was it wasn't it wasn't if it's the doctor's assistant right um the, the physician's assistant or the nurse practitioner and her response to me, I'll never forget it. She said, you just have to be strong. That's wow. what she said to me. You just have to be strong. And I'm sitting there like, I am breaking down here in your office. And all you can tell me is, you just got to be stronger. Like, I, I, just, I just thought that was so much, like, additional added pressure that this person was putting on me. Trust me, I didn't, do you think I want to be in your office having this, this emotional right. breakdown about what I'm carrying? But, you know, that was her initial response. And I just thought that so often that's what we, sometimes we even tell ourselves that, oh, I've got to be stronger. I've got to be, I, you know, or somebody else will say that. So I think we have to give ourselves permission to not be strong. Yeah. Not be okay. Yeah. Um, and, and we should be more compassionate and empathetic when our when our friends who are typically the strong ones aren't okay right and you know sometimes you know I don't know if you've ever seen the Brene Brown uh empathy video but I mean I think a lot of people could learn a lesson in empathy um because it's not about saying well it could be worse or whatever like that's not helpful in the moment <laughs> you know when you're trying to process something so I just wanted to share that from my own personal experience and that I did need more help, and I eventually had to go get more help, but it wasn't through that particular channel. <laughs> I had to seek out therapy, you know, as a next step, because she was not equipped to really handle that for me in that moment. Right. I think that that's a thing where, you know, a lot of times the doctors aren't equipped, the clinicians might not be equipped, and so especially um, if they're not from our, in, from our culture, so Dr. Corinne, do you have a cohort of Dr. Corinne's who are together to help, you know, people, who, you know, people who come from our cultural background with some of the traumas we have and some of the things that get passed down to us and, and just like racism and all those things, the way that we experience it, is there a, a group of you all who are out here that we can rely on to help us to, to move through this? So yes, and kind of. So the, the short answer is yes, we're out here. And so there's the Black Psychiatrist of America, the BPA, okay. which is um, 
a nationwide organization of black psychiatrists. And then there's also the National Association of Black Social Workers as mm -hmm. well, because, right, lots of social workers go on to become therapists. Yeah. Um, and there's the um, ABSI, which is the Association of Black Psychologists. Okay. So ABSI is a nationwide organization as well. PSY, a PSI, A-B-P-S-Y. Okay. Something like that. So uh, all of us have... Um, have do some kind of work in the community. Not everybody has a private practice. I, for example, do not have a private practice. I work in a, uh, in a clinic that, or a practice that is part of Montefiore. And I work in one, of the, um, in one of the neighborhoods in the Bronx, seeing patients who are by and large Medicaid patients. Um, but I think all of us are trying to to keep on rising to this uh, occasion of black trauma and, and racism and COVID era mental health issues as well. Each of us is doing something for sure. Okay. And I would just add for anybody who is working in corporate America or has a access to a health plan to explore the assistance programs that are offered through your health plan because that's the route that I chose to take, the EAP. Um, and when we talk about the stigma, I think sometimes there's even just a stigma with that too, right? Just reaching out to the EAP services um, that are really attached to your medical plan benefits. And so I would encourage you, know, you to explore what's available because so many organizations, you get like free sessions to go talk to somebody um, and get, you know, some help and therapy. Um, my particular company offered uh, five sessions, but when COVID started, they actually doubled that. And so you can basically see a therapist under your current plan for no additional charges um, for up to 10 sessions, which is what I use to kind of work myself through my situation. Wow. Can I ask a question about that? Um, about EAPs, right? So it stands for Employee Assistance Program. Is that right? Yes. And so um, are there ways to talk with your EAP about the folks that they have contracts with to talk about whether they are diverse people? And okay, Absolutely. And that, uh, again, it depends on who your carrier is and provider is for that service but you can sometimes sort and actually filter the list of options by certain criteria. Um, so they had, to your earlier point, Dr. Crin, they had psychiatrists and they also had a lot of licensed clinical social workers who were also working as therapists, um, which is the route that I chose to go. Um, but I was able to kind of do that sorting, sifting and sorting. And they give you the opportunity to do like one first appointment just to see if it's a match. Because just like with anything, you know, not everybody is going to be the right match for you or you feel you're going to feel comfortable with. And it's so important that you feel comfortable if you're really going to get what you need out of it. So, you know, don't be afraid if the first person you talk to it isn't like a connection and it isn't working for you. Don't be afraid to call your EAP and say, hey, I think I need to go a different direction because most of them will give you the first one kind of just gratis knowing that, you know, it might not work. And so you can try somebody else until you get the right fit. Dr. Corinne, what do you suggest for people like myself who don't have any insurance? A lot of people were gig, gig workers, contractors, entrepreneurs who don't have insurance. What can, what can we do to support our mental health? Absolutely. So there's a, a few things I think. So first is mindfulness. I think having a meditation practice or some sort of get in touch with yourself kind of practice. Yep. So for some people, it's exercise. They're running. The repetition of the running helps them get in touch with themselves. Mm -hmm. Then there's a lot of apps that help you with what we call self-management. Okay. And, and some of those, there's one called Liberate. And Liberate provides free meditations specifically for Black people. Oh, They're, wow. they, yeah. So in, in they, the, the meditations are between 5 and 20, 5, 10 20, sometimes 60 minute meditations that you can do that can help you if you want to call on the power of an ancestor or if you want to, to simply sleep better at night, there's meditations for that. Wow. 
I'm also, you know, I have frustrated many a pharmacist in my, my building because they call me Dr. No Write, which essentially means I don't write a lot of prescriptions. Okay. I am a big believer in like, I want to find out what your diet is like. I want to find out what kind of exercise you're into, whether you're getting sunlight, whether you can be around nature and en enhance your access to nature because I want to call on all the forces in between each of our visits to make sure that you are maximizing your time and what you put in your body so that you can feel better. Well, it's so funny because I just wrote nutrition down here because I was going to yes, ask, you know, that's what my certification is in integrative nutrition. And so I say anything that nourishes. So definitely getting into the sun. So that was one of my Corona conversations on the early end too. What can you do? Get out into the sun, go ground, go to the beach if you can, stand with your shoes off, eat good foods, be careful of the comfort foods because you just want sugar. Maybe you just want a hug. Maybe you need to dance. So those things are very important. The food is very important to um, lighten or not the mood. If, if you're just putting pumping sugar into your body, that's not going to help you either so i'm glad that you said that and i and i definitely um think about i i had one of my friends dr hanisha patel who's a, a a naturopathic doctor and she's from an east indian culture raised in america but an east indian culture and she was raised she said that coming here the language was a little bit different because the english language um pretty much embodies unwellness and dis-ease because we will say i am sick i am whatever instead of saying i feel unwell or i feel sick or whatever so just being careful of your words and being careful that you don't embody that dis-ease that you just more say this is what's happening now you, you know at some point you might be just going through a, a cycle of it and then it'll go away. And then if it, you know, if it's not that easy, then you get the extra support that you need, but just being careful about who you say you are. That's another part of mindfulness. I would say too. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I'll tell you something that my father, so my father's, um, he was my first yoga teacher. He was my, yeah. And he's, still around. God, God uh, I thank you for that. Um, and he's the one who would say, I'd, I'd be like, Daddy, you have a cold. And he'd be like, I, I, I'm under attack. I'm fighting it though. <laughs> right? And so I, that was, um, I would always say like, this dude is such a Pisces. Like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, just admit you, you're sick. And he'd be like, you talking to the wrong Pisces. I'm not saying that. Right. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. So we have like seven minutes um what can we say about for those who are working from home now still and they have had to bring the stress of the co-workers and the 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 work home so for me working from home for nine years in the beginning i didn't have an office so my office was set up in my living room and I remember seeing the phone, the red light on the phone for, for voice messages after I would get off. And we had bi-coastal offices, but being on the East Coast, you, your five o'clock come fast, right? And those LA people, they still trying to talk to you. So I had to figure out ways to protect my energy with like getting a screen to put up to block that red light from the voicemail. And I made it a point to let them know I was not checking email at a certain time. After a certain time, I put the, the phone away. Um, so, but I do know that a lot of disparities have been uncovered with what people's home lives were. Mm -hmm. And you also feel like you have to work a little harder and longer when you're at home because you don't have that commute. So you're like, I can just sit here for a few more minutes. And then by the time you look up, it's two hours later um what can people do to help protect themselves now that everybody can see their living room from the zoom and they might be judging you <laughs> so i think um 
one thing that I embrace is Palo Santo. I, I like to start with something that appeals to my senses first to remind me that I'm shifting. So I would, if for people who don't know what Palo Santo is, it's, um, it's a tree. You see, there's like literally like wood chips from this tree that grows in South America and you burn it. And the scent is so fresh and so there's something, I think, a depth to it that leads, leaves you feeling like you have, um, that something spiritual is happening when you burn it. Um, so I, I rely on some of like aromatherapy to shift okay. my mood and my, my senses. And then I try to make sure that whatever is work-related, like you said, is in another place where I don't have to see it in the course of enjoying the rest of my evening. Right. Auntie Shares, what, what, what are your thoughts on it? You're, you're an HR too, right? What can you share? What have you been sharing with your employees about how to stay safe, feel safe in their home? Yeah, that's been a tough one, even for me personally. And like you, I was already working from home before all this happened. But um, I, I will say I felt like even extreme isolation because at least then I had a choice to go into the office. There was no right. longer choice. So there was no break. So for me, um, and what I talk to my team about often is, you know, one, just setting boundaries. And this is something I actually talked through with my therapist who, because that's her biggest concern for me. Because when I go, I go hard. And so she was like, you've got to do better to set boundaries so you don't burn out. And so I I know that I need to model that for my team as well. So, you know, it's about trying to make sure that I get up by a certain time and wrap up work. And I do have a separate, I, I, I do recognize there's privilege in having a separate space to shut the door and sure. leave the room, right? Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes I even get up and try to change off, change locations, you know, with the laptop. Um, I go outside sometimes and work from the deck and sit outside just so I'm getting some fresh air and a change of scenery. Um, the other thing is, and Wendy, you know this well, you know, sitting at this desk like this all day long, this is the new smoking. Like, it's horrible, horrible for our bodies. And, you know, I carry a lot of stress in my neck and in my back. And, you know, I go to the chiropractor and, and they get me right every two weeks. But I have to be very mindful to get up like once an hour and try to make sure I'm walking around and I'm not sitting too long because we are doing a lot of harm to ourselves through that. So, yes, we're probably, you know, we were talking about this at work because we're trying to figure out different solutions for employees through this time. Um, and we were looking at studies that say, you know, basically in a lot of cases, people are more productive, but at what cost? And so you just have to think about the cost of all that productivity and it's taking its toll on you from a mental, emotional, physical health perspective. And it just got, it's not sustainable. It's so not. We have to, to make some different choices so that we can stay healthy and well. Absolutely. I, when I did the Corona conversations and I, in, in the episode of don't choke your boo or your baby, I talked about not like starting off with the boundaries, like making sure that the boundaries were in place to not stay on past the time you would, because it's not sustainable. You feel like a rock star in the beginning. I'm not working. I'm just, my commute is one minute from the room. Okay. That's not <laughs> funny. After like month three, it gets old really fast. So Awesome, thank you. So I think we've pretty much covered anything. Do you all have some last uh, thoughts about what people can do to help um, mitigate some of this? And then here's my Palo Santo here. I do the same thing and I also have a little sage too. I usually do the sage and then I sweeten it up with one of my um, incense, aromatherapy. It, it totally makes a difference. Like these are things that our ancestors relied on and i think that i have been um for myself trying to go back to nature which is m myself remembering that i am nature so getting out into the nature helps with the moods and things um making sure that i'm not relying so much on ai because that also you go down the rabbit hole then you're comparing yourself to other people then you're watching the news and all of those negative things they don't do well for mental health over the long haul. So if each of you could give one good tip or one last anecdote or some story that you'd like to share before we wrap up and um, you know, that'd be great. Thank you. 
Anybody want to go? I could start. Um, so, so Wendy, you and I talk about this a lot too. Um, I would say continue to um, monitor what you allow in your space and in your energy, right? Um, I have not, I'm not a huge news watcher and, and haven't been for many years. I don't have a TV in my bedroom. Um, that's intentional. Um, and, you know, that's because the news sometimes really does breed and, and, you know, bring about more fear and anxiety at times, right? If you stay plugged into it too often, and I know you talked about that quite a bit on your Corona conversations as well. Um, I would just say, you know, be mindful of, again, what you allow in your space and in your energy, um, making sure that the, uh, everything down to the people that you're around, you know, that they are bringing life, adding life, bringing light, you know, and energy, um, you know, is important because all of that will help you know, I think will help. So, I mean, that would be my, my tip to everyone. Okay. And don't be afraid to ask for help. I'm just going to say that again, because I'm probably the last person I, I had the stigma, right? I work for a health services company and I talk about wellness and well-being, but when it hit me and it hit me hard, I struggled. And that stigma almost paralyzed me not to go get the help. You know yeah. what I mean? I went to the EAP people back in you know, a few months back, and then it took me weeks to call because I was stuck, you know, in, oh, what does this mean? What, are, you know, all the self-talk and the tapes I was running in my head about what that means. So yeah. I say, turn off the tape <laughs> that's running in your head, change the tape, yep. um, and realize that you're doing something for yourself. It's, it's, it's self-love to care for yourself and to get the support and the help that you need. Um, and not to be afraid if it does mean even being on medication for a brief period of time because everything that you try it isn't working, that's okay too. Yep. And, and, you know, just being mindful of the tape that you're running in your head about what that means. Like Dr. Corinne said, you, you wouldn't say some of the things that we say about um, getting help for, for mental well-being like you, if we were thinking about it as a physical thing. So we need to think about it in a similar way. Absolutely. Um, Cheryl, I think that is golden, what you said. And it's amazing to me the way that we as, as Black women, as, as just Black people, we have such incredible standards for how we are supposed to be in this world. And often, Often those things are, are wonderful and healthy. It's, there are a few things, though, that I, I just wish I could tweak really easily. Right. And, and that asking for help is, is one of them, that the stigma is, is another one. And, and I think also just whenever you feel like, oh, I don't want to do this thing. I, I've spent too much time on myself, and that would be selfish. Just go run and do that thing, right? As long as it's... You know, if it involves like taking a little bit longer in the bathtub or putting some extra scents in the shower or, or just taking time out to do a yoga video online for 10 or 15 minutes, just do it, dude. Like get you a candle, burn it, do that yoga, get into that stretch and, and then just keep on going. And also check out Therapy for Black Girls if you are at all interested in finding a therapist. Uh, of, of a background close to yours, then Therapy for Black Girls is a wonderful resource. It's nationwide. Okay, Therapy for Black Girls. So I'm gonna put all these things in the show notes. And I think it's a, you know, I think it's a blessing to be able to have people to call. Not everybody does. I'm grateful to have a few people. I had an emotional breakdown last week. I was, I was suppressing it. I was suppressing it. But once oh, Michelle Obama said that, I was like, it was probably that same day. I was just like, Ugh. so I called my sisters. Cheryl is considered one of my sisters. I called my little baby sister, Shan Shan, and I just cried as soon as she answered the phone. And she's always like the, the, like the chipper one. And she's always the one who I knew she would be like the best, you know, one of the best people to talk to. And then I spoke to Cheryl after, but I was just grateful to have have them to be able to get it out. Cause I knew what it was. Like I knew what it was. Um, it was an, it was a situational 
situation that was bringing me down. And then I ca and then I realized I had listened to the news way too much on the car ride home. And I don't normally do that. I learned it from Cheryl to keep away from that, you know, from so much news. And I too haven't had a I haven't had a, a, a television in my bedroom since 2002 because I just want to keep that. I try to keep things separate. And so if you do have somebody that you can talk to, a sister, a friend, your mom, your parents, your, you know, sometimes it's easier to even talk to strangers. It just depends. But like she's saying, if you need, there are resources for you. I will put them all in the show notes. And, you know, the best thing we can do at this time, because we still don't know what it looks like, is to take care of ourselves. And if you're a mom or a wife or a significant other, putting your mask on first before you help the others is going to be better for everybody. Do you agree? Agreed. Yes. Agreed. So Dr. Corinne, where can people follow you on your social or I know that you have, you work with a certain population in the Bronx, but if they want to follow your messages, cause it's, it's really, really cool. I was following along. So I can be found on Instagram, Dr. Corinne, that's D-R- K-A-R-I-N-N. Okay. And on Twitter, same thing, at Dr. Corinne, D-R-K-A-R-I-N-N. And on Facebook, Dr. Corinne Glover. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both so much for your time. Um, I, I'm hoping that this really blessed somebody and helped somebody and gave people an extra few ideas to consider when you're maybe not feeling your best self in the moment. So I wish everybody wellness. I wish everybody peace. And I will see you the next time in the sanctuary where I am having my daughter, AKA the Sid Sid, who is a rising senior class of 2021, who probably ain't gonna have a class, you know, who's probably not gonna have a good, well, we're not gonna say not gonna have a good, she's not gonna have a traditional rite of passage that they're used to. So She's going to come on with a few of my other family members, one who is going to college on Monday as a freshman, and um, a few other kids from the class of 20 and the class of 2021 to talk about their experiences, to talk about how they're feeling, how they're navigating, and where are they getting their information from, and how they process what's real and what's not. So stay tuned for that show, and I look forward to seeing you in the sanctuary. Until next time, peace.